name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Now, what I'm about to say may be exceedingly difficult to believe. That is, that the Longhorns won a game this last week. No, sorry. That's not the trajectory of this sermon. But actually, there once was a time when our beloved church did not exist. When Christ the Redeemer was yet but an idea, a dream, and a vision. In fact, in the first iteration of the idea, this was supposed to be what's traditionally called a mother-daughter church plant, where a larger, well-resourced church gives birth to a new congregation. And this first plan actually predates everyone in our parish, save Jim McCoy. It's true. When I was first tasked to consider a church plant, I gathered three people around me, two of whom are not with us at Christ the Redeemer, and Jim, who we know is our first and current senior warden. In the first plan, I asked Jim to take the lead, and as we know him to be, he was faithful to the task. He even flew all the way to Pittsburgh to attend a church planting conference with me. He gave himself very sacrificially to the task, and we did everything we knew how to do at the time to present a well-conceived plan to the leadership of our church. And it was actually received very well, but then things began to go sideways. The impending breakup of the Episcopal Church was taking its toll, and the leadership of the church began to think it was not the right time to plant. But perhaps you know this, I'm a little bit stubborn sometimes, and I simply wasn't ready to take no for an answer. So I went to talk to Jim, and I prepared my new plan for how we were going to make this thing work in spite of all of the odds. And on a day we will both never forget, Jim told me he was out. He wasn't going to help. Now, how shall I say this to you? I was devastated, crushed. Those are not exaggerations. For you see, this wasn't just some idea that someone came up with and asked me to do. For years, for years I had felt God was calling me to plant a church. I had read, I had studied, I had attended conferences. For me, this wasn't just a job or a task, this was a calling. In fact, as far as I knew it, this is who I was. This is my identity. And now all of the hopes and the dreams that I thought God had planted in my heart were now running through my fingers like water falling to the ground. And I had no path forward at that point. No help and literally, literally, absolutely no idea what to do next. If I'm not a church planter, who am I? What am I supposed to do now with this calling that I believe God had placed in my heart? Perhaps you've experienced something like that in your life. A time when you received some really difficult and bad news and you wondered how anything good could possibly come out of it. That's the state of mind I was in. In today's gospel, Jesus says some very difficult things. He says there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and when that happens, he says distress will come upon the earth. 
Nations, he says, will be in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. And then he says, people, people, humans, individuals, they will be fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. So what do we have here? First, we know that Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple, and these kinds of things did happen during the destruction, as I preached about two weeks ago. Yet, as is often the case with Jesus, something else is also going on. Not only was Jesus talking about the end of that age, the end of the old covenant, and the start of the new covenant, but Jesus is also talking about the end of this age, the age that you and I are now living in. He's talking also about the time when he's going to come again and the time as we declare in the creed that he will judge the living and the dead. And for some, Jesus' words and warnings will actually come as very bad news. Not only suffering the death of the body to end this earthly life, but even worse, suffering the torment of the soul in the eternity called hell. Yet for others, these very same signs will be received with great encouragement. Jesus says, when you see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, when you see these things taking place, he says, straighten up, lift up your heads, because the day of your redemption is drawing near. So he asks the question, what's the difference here? Why will some be distressed when Jesus comes back while others will receive him with joy and excitement? And I tell you this morning, my friends, the answer lies in two words, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. So here I wanna take us back to the very beginning of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. This is how Jesus announces that the kingdom has come. He says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance and faith. So I was reading a book by one of my favorite bishops and authors, you know him, N.T. Wright. He describes it this way. He says, Jesus is not simply asking us to merely give up personal and private sins and get just enough religion to hope that we can skate by, whatever that actually means. No, with his words, Jesus is actually announcing the beginning of a battle. Jesus has come to take on and take down the forces of evil in this world. And so he's calling. He's calling for soldiers who will stand up with virtue and put on their armor and prepare for battle. Only the warfare and therefore the weapons don't look like any earthly armament. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, Jesus says, Turn to him, the other one also. If someone sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak as well. Are you as shocked as I am when I hear these words? If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And though you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who would persecute you. And we ask ourselves, who does that? Who does that? This is not just countercultural or merely counterintuitive. This is outright ridiculous, even offensive, at least by the world's standards. Who would do that? If someone insults you by the world's standards, you insult them back. You put them in their place. If someone sues you, you don't just give them your stuff. You defend yourself and your rights. And if someone persecutes you, you don't pray for them. You pursue them and you punish them. That's the way the world lives. But have you ever noticed something? Have you ever noticed how we Christians have done some really amazing things? You see, historically we build these beautiful buildings all over the world, and we adorn them with these amazing stained glass windows And we fill them with songs and sounds that imagine the choirs of angels in the heavenly hosts. And then we start celebrating with this Eucharistic feast with colors and candles and flowers. And then we extend an invitation. To rulers and ragamuffins alike, we invite them to come and sit down at table. And then maybe the most absurd and preposterous thing of all. Right in the middle of all of those things, we place a cross. A cross. Think of that. One of the most gruesome devices of torture ever conceived in human history. And not only do we place a cross in the center of it, we we parade it around. We process it in and we march it out, and we take it back and forth as we read the gospel. We hold it up high for the whole world to see, and why? Why do we take this terrible instrument of torture and put it in the center of everything we do and then show it off for the world to see? Isn't it to remind ourselves Isn't it to remember that when we struck Jesus on the one cheek, he gave us the other one also? Isn't it to recall that when we ripped his clothes off of his body, he gave us his bare back and allowed us to beat him? Isn't it to remind ourselves that when we forced him to carry a cross, he took it as far as his failing body would allow, and when we finally finished persecuting the only innocent man who ever walked the earth, he cried out from the cross of his crucifixion, what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This, my friends, is what calls us to repentance and faith that in spite of what we did to him, this is what he did for us. And this, I wanna say to us, is the essence of Advent. 
looking back at what Jesus began 2,000 years ago, looking ahead to the culmination of his glorious kingdom, and then looking into our own hearts to see if we have made ourselves ready to receive him, and finally looking out at our neighbors to see who among them might be living with some really, really bad news last night. Let me chase a rabbit for just a minute. Elizabeth and I had the privilege of just hanging out with our high school students during Sunday school this morning, and we talked about fears. What are the greatest fears that people have? One insightful student said, inadequacy. Right? Fear of being not enough, fear of failing, fear of falling short, fear of not being and not becoming. What's another fear we all face? Other insightful children said earthquakes. Snakes came up, amen. (laughs) Tribulation, war, what else are we afraid of? Death and dying, losing a loved one to cancer. There are all kinds of fears and bad news that people are living with in this world right now. And the question that comes to us as Christians is this, who needs us to walk an extra mile with them today? Who needs our cloak and our tunic even if we don't think they deserve it? When was the last time someone insulted you and you refuse to speak poorly of them. I'm really preaching to myself here. Instead, you gave them the other cheek and you let them get it out of their system. And in what ways are we, especially as followers of Jesus, tangibly and practically loving those who hate us and would wish us harm, and how often are we praying for those who would persecute us and even want us dead. Now we gotta be honest here, right? This is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Then again, so was the cross. And though our flesh may cry out against the very idea of it, we as Christians do not live by the flesh, but by the spirit of God who lives in us. And in the end, all I know is this, my friends, Every time I get around a group of Christians who are sold out for Jesus in these kinds of ways, think Ben Kwashi here. Every time I get around Christians who are sold out in these kinds of ways for Jesus, those who are willing to suffer even their lives for the sake of the gospel, these are the ones who inspire me the most to live for Christ. I suspect that's true for all of you as well. For as the old adage goes, we are never really living until we find something worth dying for. We are never really living until we find something worth dying for. And that's why we Christians put the cross at the very center of everything we do. And then we lift it up and we parade it around among ourselves and we take it out into the world for everyone to see. So here's the good news. The good news that here, in God's time, 
and in God's way. Something that once was very bad news for me has become something very beautiful for us all. Through Jim and Elizabeth and the entire McCoy family and each and every one who is part of this church plant that we affectionately call Christ the Redeemer and together by the Spirit of God, we are willing and working to establish that place here in Southwest Fort Worth. A portal into the kingdom of God where faith is alive when repentance is real. And we give that very same invitation to anyone and everyone. And all of this because in the season of Advent, we know one thing is sure. Whether Jesus comes again in our lives or whether we come to him in death, to each and every one, the question is the same. Will we be ready? Will we be ready to meet him? And the other question is, how will I know? And I want to answer this way. Interestingly enough, right back to our high school Sunday school class. You'll know because your heart will tell you. You'll know because your heart will tell you. When you think of Jesus and the things to come, does that arouse in you fear? Or when you think of Jesus and the things to come, does that arouse in you faith? Faith that he has done for us the things that we cannot do for ourselves, overcome the stronghold of sin and the sting of death, and free us from any fear about our future. This is why we can't wait for Christians to come, or for Jesus to come back and Christians to come with them. So I want to leave us with an image for us to think about as we walk out into the world today. Another image of Christ the Redeemer for us to hold on to, just an icon, just, just a picture of what that might look like as we will and work to make ourselves look a little more like Jesus each and every day.